Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I'm not a theologian, but a photographer, and I have been a photographer for over 30 years. My most special collection was started a year after I lost my wife, Ferna. The collection is of a lonely cross on a remote hill that I shot, on average, every two weeks for over two years. The result was the most diverse photographic collection of a cross ever created. From that journey, a book emerged titled, What the Cross Means to Me, published by Harvest House. The book marries 30 cross images with 30 original essays on the meaning of the cross by a mix of Christian leaders. And the book is the impetus of this devotional program, as we will meditate on one essay per week. That said, my mission is to inspire a redirection of your focus to the creator of all. In other words, to help you to become more aware of the beauty around you and the source of all that is around you. Today's episode is titled, The Gifts of the Cross which is the original essay for this book by Max Lucado. The essay, The Gifts of the Cross. Every gift reveals God's love, but no gift reveals his love more than the gifts of the cross. They came not wrapped in paper, but in passion, not placed around a tree or beside a birthday cake, but a cross, and not covered with ribbons, but sprinkled with blood. The Gifts of the Cross Much has been said about the gift of the cross itself. But what of the other gifts? What of the nails, the crown of thorns, the garments taken by the soldiers, the garments given for the burial? Have you taken time to open these gifts? He didn't have to give them, you know. The only act. The only required act for salvation was the shedding of blood. Yet, he did much more. Search the scene of the cross, and what do you find? A wine-soaked sponge? A A sign? Two crosses beside Christ? Divine gifts intended to stir that moment 
that split second when your face will brighten, your eyes will widen, and God will, will hear you whisper, You did this for me? The diadem of pain, what sliced your gentle face, three spikes piercing flesh and wood hold you in place. The need for blood, I understand. Your sacrifice, I embrace. But the bitter sponge, the cutting spear, the spit on your face, did it have to be the cross? Did not a kinder death exist than six hours hanging between life and death? all spurred by a betrayer's kiss? Oh, Father, you pose, heart stilled at what could be. I'm sorry to ask, but I long to know, did you do this for me? Dare we pray such a prayer? Dare we think not such thoughts? Could it be that the hill of the cross is rich with God's gifts? Let's examine them, shall we? Let's unwrap these gifts of grace as if, or perhaps indeed, for the first time. And as you touch them, as you feel the timber of the cross and trace the braid of the crown and finger the point of the spike. Pause and listen. Perchance you will hear him whisper, I did it just for you. That is the end of the essay as submitted for the book, What the Cross Means to Me. The gift, as we hear in this essay, are plural. The gifts of the cross. As Max referred to in the first couple of sentences, yes, the gift of the cross is a gift unto itself. And Romans 6.23 reminds us that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. Now God sheds, his, his gifts shed light on God's heart, God's good and generous heart. James tells us that every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. James 1.17 And every gift reveals God's love. But no gift reveals 
is love more than the gifts of the cross. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 2 Corinthians 9.15 It is hard. I think it is almost impossible to adequately or accurately describe the gift of the cross, let alone all of the other gifts that surround the cross. Max Lucado mentioned a number of them, and some he didn't mention. You know, what is the lesson for us to learn about the robe and how they cast lots? Was it just to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah? Or is there more to it? What was the message in the rendering, the ripping of the temple curtain? There is so much that could be explored. So much that could be learned about the good thief, the bad thief. But we also learn from Jesus himself after he rose from the dead and spent time with the disciples. And he reminded them that he would be giving them a comforter, a counselor. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. And some would say it's a gift that many of us take for granted. It's a gift that today I would encourage you to ponder, to meditate on. What is this gift that Jesus left behind? Who is this Holy Spirit? The third of the triunity. What is this Holy Spirit? What does it mean for us believers in Christ to be in Christ? What does it mean to have a Holy Spirit? What are the gifts of the Spirit? Well, we learn that there are, at least from the commentaries that I've read, seven ministries of the Holy Spirit. As I go through them, and then you take a step back after these seven have been read, try to consolidate them back into a whole as you have a fresh perspective on the Holy Spirit. The first is piety. Most of the definitions refer to this as godliness. Others would call it holiness. meaning through imitation. Not just what would Jesus do, but being in Christ, imitating our Lord and Savior. But the definition really is more of, of a fidelity to obligations. 
and an act inspired by piety. Yes, that's almost a circular definition. What is piety but an act inspired by piety? But I think the lesson here is that the Holy Spirit can provide the ability to keep your vows, fidelity to your obligations, right? It is that still small voice if you're uh, a husband and you're noticing something that you may not or should not uh, dwell upon and the Holy Spirit reminds you, ah, 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 your vows. Or if you're a wife and your husband has not been present for you and he hasn't been there for you, he's not been nurturing and uh, a good listener, and yet somebody at your job is is ha- has a great interest in you, seems to have a great emotional attachment to you, and has seemingly been there to meet a lot of your needs, and your mind begins to wander about possibly this, and then the Holy Spirit reminds you, ah, ah your vows. That's just one application. Obviously, pastors, uh, the shepherds of our flocks, they take on even greater vows. And um, they need the Holy Spirit many times for that fidelity to their obligations. Next is understanding. Which, for this devotional, is the ability to judge. Or in other words, the ability to discern. For example, trust in the Lord and not on your own understanding. What does that mean? What is your understanding if this scripture that I just read means is, is, it, is encouraging you not to lean on your own understanding? So what kind of understanding is the Holy Spirit helping us to achieve or to maintain? Well, instead of overthinking things, trying to figure out uh, creative ways around an obstacle, the Holy Spirit can remind you to go to God in prayer and to trust, to seek God's will and to trust God's will. That is a completely different type of understanding than leaning on our own understanding. A third is counsel. And for the purposes of this devotional, counsel means to provide advice, instruction, and direction for your life. It provides you the insights Helps you to see the forest for the trees. Helps to provide answers when the questions start to become overwhelming. A counselor slash comforter. One who understands the situation you're in. and can provide the comfort that um, the right answer can provide you. And just like understanding, seeing the 
Holy Spirit as a counselor helps you not to try to figure things out on your own, but going to God in prayer and asking for direction, asking for advice and instruction on the small steps in your life and the big steps in your life. The fourth is fortitude. Fortitude is best defined for this devotional as an internal strength. I don't remember the name of the movie offhand, but Edward James Olmos played a math teacher in a movie, a movie based on a true story about a class in, I think it was L.A. or East L.A., that um, had one of the worst math scores collectively in the nation, if I'm not mistaken, and he helped take them to the top, meaning to have some of the top scores in the nation. Um, I may be paraphrasing, but in that movie, he would often tell his students a word that in Spanish is kind of what I'm trying to get at here is called ganas, that, that deep down desire. He would ask him, where's your ganas? Where is that hunger in your in your in your belly that is needed to achieve an objective or a goal. So the kind of fortitude we're talking about is, is a firmness. It's a resolve, you know, a resolve to follow our destiny that we feel God has placed in for us and to follow that destiny, no matter the types of hurdles that are placed in our, in our way, um, a resolve to keep going around, under, over, whatever obstacle there is, staying on the path uh, to the destiny that you feel God has called you to. And not just to uh, a resolve to follow the destiny, but to do so without complaining, right? Uh, to, without discouragement or despondency. And yes, I understand life can be really tough sometimes, and it can be very discouraging. And sometimes the feeling of despondency can feel very real very thick, but that's what I'm referring to here in this devotional. The Holy Spirit can provide through the darkest of times in your life the fortitude to stay on the path that God has called you to. The fifth is knowledge, and it's not just knowing that two plus two equals four. There are different kinds of knowledge, right? Um, Good knowledge um, are examples of truths and commands that God wants us to know. These are best learned in Scripture, reading the stories of early early uh, characters in the Bible, Moses and Joshua, Joseph, but also the prophets, disciples. Reading all those stories gives us the kind of knowledge that we need when we face a difficult situation. I remember a time in Second Kings where there was a battle coming, they, meaning the king of the Hebrews, king of the um, nation of Israel at that time, knew he was completely outnumbered. And instead of trying to come up with a defense plan, he just said, guys, put your weapons down. We are going to fast and we're going to pray. The battle belongs to the Lord. And if he wants to save us, he'll save us. Now, that kind of knowledge helps you when you get into a tough situation to realize, oh yeah, like that king, God is in control. I don't have to stress. Even though I'm seemingly outnumbered in this situation, I'm going to trust God for a miracle. That's the kind of good knowledge I'm talking about. Now there is knowledge we should try to avoid. The evil types of knowledge are the uh, paradigms that Satan or his minions would want us to believe. 
these types of wrong knowledge can per, you know, introduce doubts and um, introduce suspicions about yourself, your pastor, your church, all kinds of thinking that might get somehow interjected into your thought process. And that's what we're talking about here is the reaching out to the Holy Spirit, leaning upon the Holy Spirit to help provide us that good knowledge. Uh, we read about the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. The characters in the story, Adam and Eve, knew they had knowledge. They knew they were not supposed to eat of that the fruit of that tree. But uh, I'm sure you know that knowledge did not prevent them from eating or taking a bite of that fruit. They still did. What was the difference? God provided the good knowledge. The serpent came and interjected evil knowledge, bad knowledge. You recall he introduced ideas about how if you do take a bite, you'll be as wise as God. That's why he doesn't want you to take a bite, because he knows that once you do, you'll you'll be like him. You'll be like God. And that bad knowledge caused them to make a mistake that has been part of humankind ever since. So that leads us into number six, the fear of the Lord. Now that phrase, the fear of the Lord, is mentioned 300 times in the Bible. I think that's a pretty important phrase, and it's one that seems to get misquoted, misapplied, misunderstood, mistranslated an awful lot, as if there is a white haired, you know, long white bearded man with a big stick ready to bonk you on the head when you make mistakes. Nothing could be further from the truth. A fear of the Lord, for the definitions for this devotional, is an awareness, is an understanding, an awareness that God is omniscient. For those of you who don't know that word, omniscient means that God is everywhere all at once. And that awareness can keep us from doing wrong, and it helps us to choose what is right. A good example is when Pharaoh told all of the midwives to kill all of the boys under two, and they refused. They chose to fear the Lord for what was right. Then the fear of Pharaoh catching them and disciplining them or possibly killing them, they felt that it was more right to protect those little boys. So sometimes in life, the Holy Spirit can keep us in tune with the fear of the Lord, knowing that he's all around. And yes, sometimes we have to make important critical decisions, and it may require civil disobedience to take it to a, to an extreme, to stand up for what you feel God um, is calling you to stand up for. And like we saw in the fourth of seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, fortitude. <laughs> so the fear of the Lord can also provide the fortitude to stand up for what's right, no matter what um, a municipality or uh, an elected representative may say, right? We have a fear of the Lord more than the fear of man. Now, Paul wrote, that we should work towards complete holiness because we fear God. I read that again. Paul, the apostle, wrote that we should work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Hmm. Well, that takes us back to piety. <laughs> the first ministry uh, or gift of the Spirit um, is holiness or piety. Simply put, um, always choosing to keep your vows honor your vows, do what's right and not wrong every minute of the day, no matter what the decision is before you. As you make right decisions and wrong, you're moving towards holiness and away from unholiness, um, always striving to move from good to better. So on to our last um, gift of the Spirit on this list, number seven, wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, 
Many times in the Bible, uh, it refers to the fear of the Lord as being the beginning of wisdom. And we just talked about the fear of the Lord as being a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is. But how does that play into wisdom? Especially when the Bible many times says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hmm. Well, many definitions define wisdom as the proper or adequate application of knowledge. The proper or appropriate application of knowledge. As we just discussed a few minutes ago, Adam and Eve knew they shouldn't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, and yet they chose to do that. Was that wise? It was very unwise. But for for a more practical example, if I know that running a red light is wrong, and I have the knowledge, I have the knowledge because I learned it when I went through driving school to get my license. Um, If I had to take traffic school later on, I was retaught. So obviously, I know running a red light is wrong. But if I choose to run that red light, would that be unwise? Yes, in this extreme example, it's not only unwise, it could be very, very dangerous. There could be damage, uh, serious damage to property um, and very serious or fatal injury to people. So in this example, not applying the knowledge of that situation at that intersection at that red light could have catastrophic and lifelong implications for people who may get affected by that unwise choice to run the red light. So what we're talking about here, whether it's the example of running a a red light or a stop sign or Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, knowledge in and of itself not help you to be wise until you apply that knowledge rightly, righteously. And many times it does take the Holy Spirit's help or assistance to make that right choice, to properly apply knowledge to a certain situation. That's why I've said many times today that reading the scriptures helps give you the ammunition or the fuel or the nourishment you need to fulfill your destiny. And it gives the Holy Spirit the ability to help you help yourself. You can't apply knowledge if you don't know the knowledge. So therefore, I encourage you to read the Bible, read those stories. You never know when a situation comes up that you can apply that knowledge rightly and make the situation a whole much of a better situation than it could or would have been. So in addition to the gift of eternal life, which I can stop right there and be very happy, (laughs) I have eternal life in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ provided for us on the cross. But yet, being of the world and not of the world also means I still have to live in the world. So being saved is 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 an amazing gift, knowing that as an eternal being, I have a future in Christ and in God and in heaven for all times. But I still have to live here. I don't know how many days, months, years I still have left on this earth. And the point of this devotional is that the Holy Spirit given to us from Jesus helps us to not only live right, but brothers and sisters helps us to be holy. We are aware and we strive to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is around you at all times. We just get caught up in the cares and concerns and the stress and the distractions of this life. You know, many kids get a Christmas gift and we as parents get sad because they put the gift aside after a day or two, if, if that. And you wonder, why did you spend so much money on that gift? Jesus gave us a wonderful gift. These seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, piety, understanding, 
fortitude, knowledge, the fear of the Lord, and wisdom is not comprehensive. It just seems that certain commentators have focused on those seven. But there are many other gifts of the Holy Spirit. The point is, are you making a conscious decision to be aware of the Holy Spirit around you so you can tap in the Holy Spirit's ability to help you be not only a better person here on earth, a better humanitarian, but a better witness to those around you, right? Everyone that's around you is a divine appointment. They're watching you. They're listening to you. The more tuned in with the Holy Spirit you are, the more able you are to take advantage of that divine opportunity and to act on it. So I'm encouraging you, brothers and sisters, during this time, um, and there are many times of the year where this is even more important than others, although I would say it's every time, every time. But there's times like, you know, the holidays between Thanksgiving and Christmas, things get so hectic and you're so focused on giving gifts and meeting expectations of others around you. That's the time when you even more need to set aside some time for meditation and tuning in to the Holy Spirit, getting recharged, being a better, more holy person for those around you. So with that, I'll encourage you to go in grace. May God keep you in this perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me. Heard every Saturday at 8.30 and Sunday at 8.30 here at KKXX Radio. If you'd like to learn more about the book and view the images discussed or learn about the fundraising opportunities for your group through the Magi Cross products or how to support What the Cross Means to Me, the website is magicross.com, M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S. 